Welcome, guys, to the Google Podcast. I am Rob Watson, um, and in today's episode, I'm speaking with Dave Linton, who is the founder of Madlog, which stands for Make a Difference Luggage, which is an award-winning bag brand helping to give dignity to children in care. Started back in 2015, after he was heartbroken to hear that most children in care transport their worldly belongings in just a bin bag. He set out to do something about it. And with just a few quid in his pocket, he started Madlug and he came up with this idea of buy one, give one approach. So with every bag that is purchased, one will also be given to a child in care, which sounds like an amazing uh, organization. Um, So firstly, Dave, thank you for speaking with me today. It's great to be on your podcast, Rob. So yeah, um, I give a little bit brief overview, um, but if you could just go into some more detail, tell us a little bit more about how it started and how it's unfolded, that would be great. Yeah, yes, Rob. So 90,000 children in the care system across the UK and Ireland, one moving every 15 minutes, and um, most of their belongings in black plastic bin bags. And I first came across that story whenever, back in 2015, whenever my wife and I had been um, on a course looking at going back into foster, and we already are adoptive parents, and we had done some um, short break foster care. However, we had taken a little break from that. And as part of it, we had to go back to the very start and learn how to do fostering. And they showed a story of a young girl and she was in a wheelchair, a teenager, and she made this statement, when we move, the local trusts or local authorities don't give us suitcases. Sometimes foster carers loan us suitcases, but quite often our belongings are moved in black plastic bin bags. And I have to be honest, I heard absolutely nothing else for the rest of that evening and felt I'm going to do something to fix that. So my initial thought was at that time, I was a youth worker. I'd spent most of my working life as a, as a youth worker, love young people, believe in young people. And so I could go back to the youth center that I was, I was running and get the young people to, to donate their, their last year's school bags and, and sports bags and so forth. And we'd just give them to local, local trust because we're based in Northern Ireland's local trust. And, but the more I re- researched it, I felt one is the numbers, 90,000 children, one move in every 15 minutes. Yes, we could uh, be a little, it would help in our area, but it wouldn't look at the whole issue. And secondly was these children, the incredible children in the care system who have huge value, the fact that they breathe, they have huge worth and deserve to be treated with dignity. And dignity is about giving them a brand new bag, giving them something that's not secondhand or hand-me-down, but how do we get, um, give them a sec- um, brand new bag. So it led me on to, okay, that model isn't going to work to get this, this problem solved. So how do I get new bags? And after a bit of exploring of um, the charity world, thinking, you know, do I get funding and get fundraisers going? I, I started to, to look more into the social economy or social enterprise space where I could generate funding through selling product that helps tell the story and enable us to give bags. And that's where Madlug kind of came from. It's amazing. Um, uh, it's an incredible story. And I like the way it started from, it wasn't like you suddenly thought, oh, I'm going to set up this company to do these bags. It was like, actually, how can I make a difference straight away? And it was starting small and you probably never even thought of what it's going to turn into. But I think like all good ideas and all great things, they t- start with something like a small action or a small, small need and a desire to make some change. And I've got to admit, when I was reading um, up on you before I did the podcast before we started this interview and I must admit like it was breaking my heart just actually like seeing it you know like children like you say you know just the fact that there's 90,000 of them in a care and they must I don't know how often they get moved about and some of them could be in multiple places each year or you know through so many different things in the like such young t- um in the such early childhood, like I think I've recently become a father and the thought, like she's the most precious thing to me in the world. And the thought that, you know, these childs, and I think there was something on the site, I think that's what really got me, you know, over half of the victims are like the victims of neglect or abuse. Mm-hmm. And that's just like, oh, you know, it really, oh, you know, it's such a big issue. And I know we can all get quite insular on in our lives, can't we, the way it is, and just, you know, be focused on what we need to do to improve our lives. But there's so much going on and to see that you're making a difference and it's lovely to hear like you know you've been a social worker you've you know adopting kids looking to foster children like you know for me you know you're you're like a hero you know ultimate kind of do-gooder in a way like um and it's just inspiring to hear like like you know what what you're doing and and 
and how it's kind of evolved. Um, so besides like just giving, you know, besides giving them bags, what, what else do you think that, you know, needs to be done or can be done to, you know, I know you're doing a great thing because what it says on every one of the labels is like, you are incredible to help remind the kids that they actually have value, worth and dignity, which is amazing. You know, they might not be hearing those kind of that language much, especially growing up if they've been abused or neglected. So that's like a really good positive reinforcement. But how, how further do you think it goes? And Well, I think when I started, it was as simple as how do I get bags to, to these incredible children? And um, the, the, that was where it really started. And, and you go back on some of the comments that you, you, you pointed out there is that I, I think how we do, where we come from is often our own backstories, you know, and and, and what drives us. So I, I wasn't a social worker, I was a youth worker, you know, running youth centers. And But why was I 42 and starting a business rather than 25 and starting a business? And, and why was I in youth work for 22 years? Um, you know, what drove me to that? What has drove me to do what I do now? And, it, and, it, and I think it looks back at my backstory. You know, when I was five, I lost my dad. Um, my mom was a widow. She, she worked hard to, to bring us up. But significant people helped her neighbors next door you know looked after us when she to enable her to work at times they opened their doors after school um when when we needed food there was enough you know we were able to go next door and get some milk and stuff and and so i have a lot of what i call you know non-blood aunts and uncles in my life and people who and and I, that backstory i think has shaped who i am as a as a person in the sense of i i i i was in some ways vulnerable myself, but not in, on the edge of care, not in the care system, because my mom did an incredible job and had the support around of family and friends and neighbors. But also is that that has given me such a drive that I am for the underdog. And and um, and and the one who often feels unseen, you know, I was that kid who walked around, felt felt like I was different because everybody else had dads. Everybody else was at the, at the football matches and everybody else was on the tennis courts with dads and I had nobody to play with in those kind of contexts. Now, as an adult, I know the reality is that a lot of people don't have those experiences with dads, even when they're present or when they're in person. But um, at that time, that's how I felt and, and you felt vulnerable. So that has been a huge drive in my, is I've always wanted to be a helper and I've always wanted to be a champion of the underdog. So when I was a youth worker, I sat in, my, 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 my favorite times was sitting playing FIFA with the, the young people who mostly got kicked out of other clubs, who, who were the ones that most other leaders were maybe not given a lot of time to because every time they give time, they were fighting with them to get them out or to, to behave or do that. And, um, and I, I was the one that was wanting to, to, to get to know them, sit down and chat. You know, I hated all the fundraising of youth work and applications and stuff. And part of the thing is I'm dyslexic in that, so um, that was never never my strength. But I love that underdog, and that has led me into what I do. So when when we got married, my wife and I, it wasn't that let's if we can't have children, let's adopt. It was we're going to adopt whether we have children or not, and we have a birth child and we've an adopted daughter, which is 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 amazing, and, and they're brilliant, and I love them the bits. You know, so that that's always been part of part of um, my my DNA. So it's out of that backstory comes this this story now. Um, but the size of the problem was huge, and I just felt I needed to do do something, uh, and that drives me to to do what I, what I do now. I understand. You know, like you've what is it forty five thousand donations bags that have been made so far. Yeah, that'll be close to 50 at the end of summer. You know, in one week, we had 17,500 bags given just recently. Wow. Now, obviously, the model is, you know, we, we have to sell bags. We've got to get the, the cash. We've got to then get the numbers so we can order the enough of the bags and all of the logistics of that and the time scale. So we generally can give large amounts at certain times because, you know, obviously, we want to get them out once we have them as fast as we can. But... We're now, I think, touching on fifty, and there's, I think, there's funding in place for north three or four thousand. So, it's a, it's amazing. And how was that kind of built? I assume that's just building momentum. I assume it started small in the hundreds to start off with, and then it's just kind of like a bit of a bell curve. Yeah, absolutely. So, 
I say I started with 500 pounds. You know, I remember having the idea after the that meeting and being heartbroken and looking at all the ideas. And my wife's in in the in the charity space as well. And none of us are business, you know, um, orientated and probably looked a little bit differently at business leaders, thinking, you know, those people have got all together, they've loads of wealth, and you know, and they can, and we're not that. And um, you know, and and that's not our world. And I remember coming to my wife going, um, I have this idea to fix that problem. Now, the interesting thing is my wife didn't hear the story. She was at the same meeting and didn't hear the same problem. So it didn't resonate in the same way as it resonated with me, which in some ways I think, you know, this is what I've been given to to, 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 to champion. And, and she's been so supportive in that and gets it. Uh, but I remember saying, um, you know, I have this idea. And, um, and she looked at me and she says, Dave, we have no money. Because as a youth worker, we had enough to pay our bills, but never any savings. And, um, you know, I said, well, what I need you to do is I, I need you to commit to supporting the idea and be open to the potential of having income from three or four different sources. So I was needing to go leave a, a steady income from one employer with the expectations of that and take a little bit of control onto multiple income streams to cover our, 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 our livelihood. And that's what I did. And she supported me in that. Um, and we had, um, between two of, two of my, um, my mom and, and her family, we, we raised 500 pounds to, to, to start it. And, um, and, it's, and we haven't had any investment. Well, to say we haven't had any investment, we've had some small social enterprise grant money to buy their equipment or to go towards allowing me to work a little bit more time in the business. Um, and, um, and recently I've had um, a three-year support from a, from a foundation to support me in leading the, the work. Um, but most of it has been done through SEALs and... Um, and, and generating and the bell curve. So, for instance, you said about the the the, the bell curve. We had um, we were looking at our third birthday Instagram post, big three cake, and we were celebrating having given three thousand bags to children. And we were like, "This is amazing! Wow!" You know, and um, and we got our sixth birthday there in June, and we are forty five thousand. Amazing. So that that's been the and. and you know, I'm really proud of that because we've had COVID in the midst of that. And we chose, if we were going to have value worth dignity, we weren't going to furlough any of our staff. So we, we really took a decision to honour our staff in the same way as we're honouring the kids who we're trying to reach and work with. And, um, and we came out of it having the 45,000 bags at the end of. Amazing. Um, I think what's so inspiring elements of that all of it is but a particular bit of starting small starting with 500 pound because a lot of people might see businesses and even your company might look at it and go oh well that must have had some angel investors come on board with 50,000 at the beginning or other companies and it can be feel disempowering to some people thinking well I can't do that where am I going to get the money from I've not got this but to know that the key is to have an idea to have a mission to have some to think what's the purpose behind it and kind of doing it rather than thinking five years ahead or whatever. He's like, well, what can I do now in the immediate term? Okay. Have a vision. This is where I'd like to go, but what can you do to start off with? Um, and I love the bit as well that you're saying, because you took a risk as well. You, know, you took a big risk, you know, you, you were in permanent employment. You, you know, you said it wasn't a huge income, but it kind of got used by. So you're taking a, you know, you're taking a significant risk, but you were kind of taking that risk and that chance of that leap into the unknown in something that you believed in and thinking, okay, well, I'm going to have to, we have to make it work. And it's almost like spinning plates a little bit, isn't it? Because you're going to have to do this over here, this over here, bring this in here to balance everything. So you said that you had to get multiple bits of income in. What's interesting for me is to understand is, is that now, was that a process and now basically you're permanent now with, with Madlug or are you still kind of doing that? So for the last three years, I've been employed, um, salaried through Madlug. So Madlug, I don't own. It's a community interest company. So I, I set it up intentionally with that because I never wanted to have the tension of even if, you know, Madlow, say a, 
um, I move on from Mad Lug or um, I never wanted to get um, the perception of wealth from doing good. Um, and the UK, Northern Ireland's even, I think, a little bit behind in this, um, is very different than the American model. We look at America a lot of time and go with Tom shoes and all of these things. And But philanthropy and wealth is, are both celebrated together in the States. Um, in Northern Ireland, um, we're really good with underdog and terrible with success. And I just knew that I would be putting the mission at risk if, um, you know, down the line, people assumed, oh, they've changed house, they've changed their car and stuff. So I was more comfortable in getting a board, making a CIC locked asset, getting a foundry board of quality people around me who determine what I get paid. And um, so for the last three years, I've had a salary um, uh, to, to, to lead this as with, in comparison to the rest of the team. And, um, but up until that, it was, you know, um, uh, a little bit of um, income from Unlimited and, uh, you know, I did, did some social enterprise consultancy work and, you know, and was able to get well paid for that and didn't have to work a lot of hours in that nine to five, they allowed me, but all that's gone because my, my reason for doing that was to focus in Madlog and now that I've got the ability to focus a hundred percent and I'm, I'm a, cre- I'm, I'm one of them creators that I have loads of ideas, but I need to be working on one thing and focused on one thing or I end up doing no thing. And, um, that's that's part of the part of thing the the thing about is starting small um you know when you're forced to start small in in business there's two things that i've learned and i advise people now when i'm when i'm speaking is find your black bin bag story the story within the bigger story because that gives you your narrow focus and gives you a role to play and where you fit in the playing of doing good rather because in the in the doing good space there's a there's a lot of competition and and everybody feels threatened because they're all competing for the same funding, the same customer base. So we've learned that the black bin bag for us, literal black bin bag is the, our space within the bigger care space that we, yes, we have influence, but actually that's what we get up every day. That's what we focus our products on. That's what we focus our storytelling on or um, is around that black bin bag. The other part is with when, when you have an idea then, the vision piece, is important, but the risk of fusion, and I've, I've you, you, you come across this at every stage. So that it's, I have this every day as well. When Madlock can afford a little bit more, the fusion, you know, always gets bigger and um, more fine. But it's, for visionary, it's always in the distance, and most visionaries try to start where the fusion ends. So the five hundred pounds forced me to make better decisions because I didn't have the investor, but if I'd had the investment, I probably wouldn't be here today because I'd have gone to the wrong um, warehousing. I'd have had too many staff. I wouldn't have had the product thought out and I'd, and I'd been left with a whole lot of stock and not the cash flow to keep the thing going. And um, because you see the end rather than the beginning. So the finances forced me to make the right calls to, to create a lean business model that allowed me to, to grow the, the impact and to test it and to take the risks. And um, so that that's the kind of size, the risk taken then and Dave, you know, leaving the job um, and stuff. I was 42, 22 years in youth work. I was in that kind of tension space. I went into youth work as a non-qualified youth worker. I'd never had the time to go and qualify. The, the world of youth work was becoming more qualification based and more professionalized. And, um, and I was in that place where, okay, I'm, I'm looking at what's next. What's the next 15 years of my life going to be? And I was, do I either change profession? Do I go and study and do a professional youth work degree? Do I have the capacity for that? I'm dyslexic. I'm not a, an academic in the slightest. So all those kind of, it wasn't just like this hero, I'm going to give us up. There was a, I was at a pivot point in my life when I saw the black bin bag. It broke my heart. I needed to do something about it. And then the risk of it was, well, if I give up the job to go and study, that's going to cost me as well. If I if I go into a whole new career, I'm going to have to drop a few because I don't have the qualification and leadership of, of the level I'm operating in. And that was those were the kind of stuff that was was going around. So I, I hate to think people think it's a hero thing. There was, it was it came at a time when there was probably some thought processes there of I needed a change, different route. I didn't go looking for the bags to be the change. It, that broke my heart at the time, but 
but it made the going after that easier. Um, you know, at a 42-year-old um, guy rather than, it, it's, I think it's easier to do that stuff in your 20s because you can take risks and you're trying to find your way. But for me, it it was more of, this was a season in my life. How do I get the next 15, 20 years to, be, to do something that's significant to help people um, at the stage of where I'm at and without training and so forth? Amazing to hear. And it must feel good then doing what you're doing. It must feel nice getting up each morning knowing that well, you're creating something that is, is helping someone else. It's being of service um, to others. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it, there's nothing better than than seeing the impact of what, what you do. And we're often, a, you know, what people say to me about social business is, oh, this is great and I'd love to do what you do. And they, you know, but what they, what they don't realize about social business is you're starting two things at once. You're starting a profit-making business, which in itself is challenging. And you're starting a charity impacting part two, what you do. And, and you've got to build relationships in both of those and, and so forth. So um, we, we tend to be business first, generate the funds, and then have partners that we give through. So we never really get the end impact of the actual young person. We, we don't know the young people. We give them through those partners, um, obviously because of the size and the volume. But at times we get to meet people who we've been able to work with. For instance, I'll tell you a story. The, about in 2018, I was at a youth festival in, in Northern Ireland, about 1,500 young people. And there was a youth worker there. The, these young people, the youth workers bring their young people to this. It's camping and there's, there's music and so forth. And I was, um, we, we had been selling at this event for maybe two or three years. Um, and the, we, we started to notice this particular year, there was lots of mad lug bags being worn. So out of the 1,500, we counted 300 young people who had, were carrying mad loads. So it was quite an, impressive to see young people carrying and making a difference. But a youth worker came to me at the stand and says, I'm just buying a bag from my wife to take home to her. Um, she loves Mad Lug. We love Mad Lug. And by the way, we have in our group a guy who is in foster care. And at that stage, I said, well, normally we give the bags to the children. They're, they're, they're co-branded or not co-branded. They're unbranded, co-designed by young people in care to be to meet the issue of the bin bags. So it's not just about giving a bag, it's about how do we solve the problem of where's bin bags used? How do we prevent that being used? So it's a little fold away bag that falls into a gym bag size. And um, one of the things the young people told us at that time was, we don't want to have a brand on it because we don't want to be stigmatized. But I knew at this event, this foster young person wouldn't be stigmatized carrying a mad lug backpack. He would have blended in it was joining the movement no different yeah and um i said why did you get this guy to come down to our stand he doesn't have to introduce himself to me he just has to look at the backpacks go back to you and choose a color that he would like and i'll give it to you for him so i don't even have to put him in an awkward place i'm not looking anything in return i want him to feel good and just there's a there's a there's a there's a gift for him well the last day we were packing up this youth worker arrives down, introduces me to this guy called Jay. And I said, Jay, nice to meet you. What color bag would you like? And he said, I am colorblind. I says, what football team do you support? And he says, um, his football team, and he chose a red bag. So I, so I go over, hand him the red bag. He's standing red bag, and I said, Jay, tell me your story. And he said, I'm 17 and a half. I've been in care for 10 years. And he says, within that 10 years, I remember in a two-week period, having moved 15 times with my belongings and bin bags. What you do, Dave, is amazing. Like, it really is amazing. And he, he kept saying that. At that stage, I looked outside the marquee of where we were selling from, and I could see lots of young people just in the distance. And, and this, I, I don't know if you've ever been in this place, but for me, it was like, goosebumps and emotion started to go as like you know I, I spent three years not getting paid to do this just building something putting sweat and blood sacrificing things to to do it and i turned around tears were in my eyes and i started the the and i said i'm so sorry i could hardly get it out and when i got it out i said 
Jay, what's truly amazing is there's over 300 young people. You're part of this festival who are here, who have chosen to buy Madlug bags over other bags that they could buy like Nike and Kankin and all of the other brands. Why? Because they believe that you are incredible. And, um, and he, he, he smiled and he went off. And at the end of the day, he came back and I was literally packing the stand down at this, this stage. And he says, I had to come back. And I remember him having a, a, a girl beside him and she, she just was glowing. Like I, I, the best way to describe it is I didn't even, don't even know her name. Just remember she had frizzy hair, half his height, just glowing. It was very obvious that he had told the story and he says, I'm going back to see Dave. He comes back and he flung his arms around me. And he says, I had to come back just to say thank you. Well, that's not the end of the story, Rob. Two days after that event, I get a Facebook message. And the Facebook message was this. I met Dave Linton at this festival. And I'm so impressed and so amazed at the work you do that I've decided I'm going to be a teen soon. And for my 18th birthday, I'm going to give all the money that I get to the work of Madlog so that other young people can experience what I experienced. Something totally changed for me. You know, I started this wee thing of just getting bags and, you know, that's a nice thing to do and we're solving the bin bag issue. Something changed of the impact of creating a movement of people across the world that in cities and towns, villages, people were communicating a message of, we believe in you, we see you, we love you, we care for you. And, and this non-verbal communication of care, this love without words, in carrying the bag, never mind the actual bag that's going. And um, and that that story for me is is thing. Have I had any more contact with, with Jay? Every so often I reach out to him and check in with him and, and Facebook. And I visited their youth center of which he came. Now Jay's 21 now. And I I visited the youth center to talk to one of the youth workers and wasn't expecting Jay to be there just a couple of weeks ago. And I got the opportunity because the youth worker says, we haven't seen Jay in a year and a half, but for some reason he's back today. Didn't know I was coming. And we got got to reconnect again. And it was just amazing. Um, You know, the the conversation, the impact. And he says, I still have, I still have that backpack. And he says, you know what I, I, I didn't tell you? I had been given one of the little pack away bags. Didn't know it was mad lug when I was moving. So I already had one and that was for me. We don't need to get the, the praise or the celebration of this. Our bags are getting out to the end user and to the kids who need them. And there's a, there's a, there's a child, he moved 15 times with his belongings in bin bags, but one time was prevented because he had a little red pack away bag. And um, that for me is the stuff that gets me up every day. You know, I keep, you know, hearing those stories and you get letters from young people, um, two page, you know, letters and you always get them at times when you feel like I could give up you know I'm exhausted with this it's just really making a difference and you go into the office or you you go to your meal in the house and you get that letter or you meet the Jays in the world so yeah so that's that's the stuff that fuels you I'm, I'm literally blown away listen listen to that Dave um, and you can't put a price on that you know you know, you see people, you talked about the, you know, the element of money before, you know, people can go and work in the city and earn hundreds of thousands, millions, you know, but it's soulless, you know, and it's just to like crunch numbers or move stuff about. And, you know, what you're talking about, those stories, you know, and you're, yeah, that's just one story of Jay, but there'll be thousands of other ones as well that you might, you won't be hearing, but obviously say you'll get letters, which give you the boost. And, and that just feels, you know, like, I'm getting super inspired as well. I've got, you know, I've some ideas and stuff and I'm probably a bit like, you know, I have too, too many ideas. I need to just focus my mind on one and stuff. Um, but it's just, um, it's wonderful to hear that. And just to know that, like, you know, that what you're doing each morning, if people can be hearing that and thinking, and there's so many people we took, we've seen it through COVID the past year, you know, that it's all about key workers, you know, people who are generally underpaid, uh, not really well respected generally from, you know, what society perceives as success, but actually that's the greatest success. And it's interesting, like about the volunteer sector, I believe like the 
generally low pe- low paid people are more willing to do volunteer work where you would think it might be people who had more money and more time might volunteer but actually it comes from that you know you're saying that underdog mentality and they've been through that experience they're willing to care and that's something that frustrates me a little bit with politics and when you look at the politicians that we've got you know i don't really see any people like yourself dave or other ones you you were the you know they seem to be the people that can make better decisions rather than people who have you know have all gone to oxford or cambridge and you know and have come from a lot of privilege and you feel like how can they be making decisions for people in northern ireland or up in up in you know up in Newcastle or Liverpool or Manchester. Um, that's me going off on a little bit of a tandem there. Um, mm-hmm. But back back onto the bag itself, I understand as well what sounds really amazing. You might be able to correct these figures, but I understand that like a significant amount of them also get manufactured in Belfast by people who are who've got disabilities. Yeah, so that's maybe a little bit out of out of date. That information in twenty eighteen for about a year, we brought production um, to to Belfast. And, um, but we have outgrown capacity of that. So we got about a year and then we couldn't um, sustain the capacity of that. So we ended up with no option but to go back to our original manufacturing process to, to, to scale. The challenge that we have, Rob, is this. Um, in, a, in a social business is the, the problem we are fixing is a volume problem. So it's a large number problem. Um, and we are trying to get more bags to children. So that means for us, we have to have a price point on the bag that we sell to be one that we can sell many rather than a, a niche product that we sell less because, okay, we can give a bag, but that's not going to give the same volume of impact in what's needed. You know, for, if you take one child moving every 15 minutes, that's equates to about 40,000 children, you know, just enter care every year at risk of a bin bag or a plastic shopping bag these days. So that's what we're trying to say is how do we get to that 40,000, not just in six years, but every year. And, and then if you think of the global situation, this is not just a UK problem. It's a, the America's every three minutes or something like that, that a child enters the care system and there's half a million children. So, you know, we, we might not be the solution over there, but we, we want to still be, um, we, have, we have an ability to communicate the importance of the bin bags, no child should carry life in a bin bag through a brand. So, so that's, the, so that's where, where, we, where we've been. Um, we have recently, um, and we don't, we don't talk about this because we try to stay focused on our mission as our black bin bag, not you know, other things. You know, it's not look at us, look at all the good things we're doing. We try to make the right thing, to do the right thing in the decisions that, that fixes our social problem we're trying to fix and so recently we the we had eighteen thousand bags coming coming from china to to, the give um just at the start of summer but we made a decision that we we came across a little community um in nepal of um single moms and widows and um and a, a little community group that was working working there and the wife of the leader of this group was a seamstress and they were doing little sewing projects. So what we 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 work with them is we have we chose to give five hundred of our giving bags that we give the kids. We've committed to five hundred of those being made every month in Nepal. We pay more for that. The shipping costs, the logistic costs are higher for that, but we're sustaining seven or eight um, women out in this little village. And um, we don't see that necessarily increasing. We don't see that as become their whole because they, they wouldn't have the capacity for that. But for us doing a, a, taking a part of our spend and moving it to, to sustain a little, a little community in, in, in Nepal, um, we've, we've chosen to do that. So we try to make that. Now, we don't tell people that story. And the reason being is that confuses because that's not our mission to help a community in Nepal and to have, you know, um, you know, that's not what we're set up to do. We're set up to communicate every child occurs incredible. We're going to ensure that they make it away with dignity by giving them proper bags and advocate that no child should carry their life in a bin bag. I think as well, taken from what you're saying there is like the, the traditional business model is set up to, you know, well, it's profit driven where if you weren't an enterprise, social enterprise company and you didn't have the ethos and the values that you have in place, someone would just look at that 
on a piece of paper and look at the figures and go, no, we're going to go to the cheapest place. That means because we're going to have to increase our bottom line. But I'm seeing more and more, particularly other people I speak to on this podcast, people are no longer like this, this drive for profit, this drive for more, this drive for whatever. People are realizing that it's, you know, it doesn't bring fulfillment. It doesn't build, um, it doesn't have a lasting impact on it. And what does is, you know, knowing that you can make a difference. And, you know, when it comes to that final day on earth, when we know we're about to depart, it's like, what difference have I made? You know, you could have all the money in the bank, but once you've left the earth, it's not yours anymore. You know, what, you know, you might, you might leave it to your friends and family or whoever, and, but then what are they going to flit it away on? A new car, holidays, you know? But if you can actually think about all the things you make a difference, and it doesn't even have to be, even people listen to this, you might even think they want to set up a company or do something like this. It's just those small random acts of kindness that you can do each day. Even just being kind, it doesn't have to cost you a penny. You know, it's just doing that, you know, can make you one feel better. You're helping someone else. It's just, for me, it's like, I talk about a lot in this podcast. How can we be service to others rather service to self? But by being service to others, you're serving yourself as well. It goes, it constantly feeds itself. And I think the more of us that can tune into that kind of mindset and then realize how we, the feeling it can give you, like you spoke about it before when you were speaking about Jay and you had all that emotion coming up and rushing inside of you. You know, like that, that is a fun, that's just, you know, like I said, it's priceless. Um, but it's great to hear that, you know, you're making an impact in Nepal. It's that kind of butterfly effect, I think, of stuff. And yours is like on a larger scale than what maybe, you know, many people might be doing. But yeah, I, I, I say it's the, the, the thing, the thing for me is one profit isn't wrong. It's what you do with the profit. So if, if the profit is about helping people or helping environments, the thing that you're passionate about, then there's absolutely nothing wrong to think of bottom lines. But if you're, if your mission is about people, your bottom line isn't going to do it at the cost of people. So, so for me, that's the, the difference. So every day I run business, we have to run business well. We have to, you know, we were talking before the podcast about the quality and the, the looks of the bags and stuff. If we don't have a, a sustainable business model, we, we, we have that feel-good factor of doing something significant for a period, but it's not going to solve the long-term problem. So we want to be around for the long-term. That means repeat customers. We means quality products um, because, you know, people will buy a product once and um and help your cause but they'll not buy it a second time if it's not good um people who don't know the story first will find the story out because they've seen a great product on somebody and then they, they find the story out when they receive or when they enter the website so we've got to we've got to do that profit but the key for me is and i and i would really encourage everyone needs to find their black bin bag story and and the, it's then the response to that black bin bag story so if if somebody is um, walking around a city and, and being heartbroken by homelessness. It's not just to say, I want to fix homelessness. It's finding out the part that breaks your heart in that. So for instance, are people ignoring them? Well, that's breaking my heart. So how do I get people to not to engage them? Because that's your black bin bag story within the story. And and then it's then looking and understanding that, self, that self-awareness piece as so what do you bring? How do you fix? So I've always been a pioneer and entrepreneurial in how I've done youth work and how I do organization. And for me, it was then the natural thing was I'm going to create and ask people to follow. But if I hadn't been that type, that encounter of the black bin bag story would have been, okay, who's working with children in care and how can I get involved in helping? So I find find a leader, I find an entrepreneur, I find an, an existing charity or business, um, or I find a local community group that's not even doing any business or any big funding things, but is basically going around picking litter or doing something like that. And I, I get involved and I bring who I am to the table because that's the sweet spot when you bring what you are create, how you're shaped into the thing off the rule with the thing that breaks your heart in the black bin bag story, that's when you get up every day and the thing that sustains you. So that, that for me is I would encourage people not to see profit as a bad thing, but it's how they use their profit. In some ways it's a, 
you know, it's a healthy social capitalism. And that might be a swear word to some of your listeners, but, you know, it's that way of if it's done right, it's using the profits so that employment is created, impact is given, taxes are paid, all of that stuff. So the, the vulnerable, the disadvantaged, the lesser, the underdogs are supported because of the success and the business is running well and proper. And that's what I'm really committed to. Yeah, I can see it comes shining through. And then just touching on the design, because like I mentioned, yeah, before it, they are beautiful looking bags. You know, like you say, you're going to be competing with the Nikes, with, you know, all these other companies for the looks, but obviously you've got the story, but the design has to almost be equal to to them. So in terms of the design, you know, how's that kind of evolved for you? Because obviously you didn't, you're not, you didn't know anything. Well, you didn't come into design. You weren't working in design. You weren't in manufacturing. How did how did that kind of come about? Yeah. So the fact that we are in bags was the the sign of how do I tell the story of the bags? And it was you know influenced by Tom Shoes. You know helping children that now they've moved away from this, but initially it was setting shoe company up to help kids with shoes. And um, and so I was influenced. Though, I wonder could. I do this with bags. So that's where the bag thing, I, I really like bags myself. I was always, uh, you know, somebody who would have walked around seeing um, and looked at backpacks and interested in it. But um, so that's where it came from. The design was, came out of the 500 pounds. And it was simply this. When you don't have um, the money to go and sit down with a whole pile of patterns so at the time 2015 let's go back most of the backpacks that were in the market space were roxy and um maybe super drive mainly roxy bags and that were patterns all over them and um and school kids were using a lot of these for for school that was the thing and plain bags weren't really the end thing at, the, at that particular time, Herschel was coming into the market a lot with the plain bags and each pack had started, but but it was mainly, and I was faced with, you know, and says they're, they're too plain, they're too plain, um, but I couldn't afford the risk of going and getting, you know, a thousand bags of each, each pattern made and then somebody like that pattern, but not that pattern. I also didn't want to be a discount brand and devalue the, the, the brand and product. I want to be a fair brand that we got a price point that we try and hold that's fair to everybody. And um, so it came out at 500. And then my, so my answer to that was we've got to get really creative in our, in our logo and we've got to stay classic and our innovation's got to be our story. So we've spent our time being really innovative in how we tell our story clear simple on track um and that's the usp of what we do black bin bag story we've got to have quality bags so the way that i could source bags um without huge investment and in capital was i i was able to stay classic design bags that that adidas nike east pack that style of a bag and then what I learned from the industry was that it was easier to source because every company, even the big brands, are using the same manufacturers, same factories, only putting their logos on them. So I needed to find something that a company to work with that was ethical and that, that there was no child labor, there was fair wages being paid, affordable quality that allowed the, the price point. And I found that and allowed me to bring in smaller quantities and we actually, we actually um, have the bags made for us and we finish them locally to minimize the risk. So that came out of the 500 pounds. So we, it creates employment here locally because if I bring in a, say, a, a, a extreme bright color, it's a risk. And if I put my logo as they come in and all the finishing touches in that, it's a risk because the only way I'm going to move that is to discount it. So it's automatically devalued your brand. So what I do is I create employment. I bring them into spec. We finish them off to Madlug. If a corporate comes along like Ikea or Shopify or some of the partners that we've worked with, we can then have a little bit of flexibility to work and get the best product for them. 
in this in the finishing process. But the the other thing is, and we haven't had to do this yet, but it but it was the reason for doing it, is that we can stick on classic bags that have no representative to a mad lug on some a platform like eBay and sell them as blank bags. You were covering yeah, covering all your bases there with that one. Covering all business and it keeps our business lean. Yeah. And it allows us to have a size of business that meets demand and needs and allow and a culture that doesn't want to buy the same color. You know, they want the same brand, but they don't want to have the same color at the party. You know, a wee bit of like my my wife would talk a lot about some some high streets where you know they're nearly afraid to buy because you know you go to a wedding and you see ten people in the same dress and you know so we like our a little bit of individualism we like so we've been able to give choice keep the business lean and be able to grow it in a capacity by using a classic a classic bag model innovation story and making sure the bags are quality and ethical and you by going down that classic route as well you just make it timeless so you give yourself longevity as well absolutely rather than feeling like a lot of stuff so trendy now and you know it's in for a season or it's in for a year or two and then it's gone and you don't want to get put yourself in that thing just to mention you mentioned ikea and i was reading on your blog about how was it last christmas that they did something where you, well you can just tell the story but i heard about the partnership with yeah. ikea so last august we got a we got a call from ikea saying that um every year they give um an end of year gift um to every staff member in the uk and ireland and they were in a year of sustainability and um, had sent out three of their team to, to research social businesses. And um, all three came back wanting Madlug as their number one. And the question was, could you supply and, and buy a time 12,000, initially it was 12,000 bags. So we were then like, okay, yes, um, we've never done an order of that size. You know, we suddenly moved from this business of just e-commerce and retail into sitting having contractual stuff and all of the, the growth pains of um, and taking risks in many ways if things weren't delivered in time. Um, you know, there would be penalties and all of that stuff. So we we basically did that, and they they bought twelve thousand eight hundred um, bags. And every every staff member got one for Christmas. Um, the strength of that was in the they made a, a video, a little animation video, because normally they do the giving of their gifts in person, but with COVID, but they couldn't. So they commissioned a an animation company to put a really strong animation together, and they told the Madlug story to to all of those people. And the feedback has been phenomenal. In that, you know, they're saying best gift ever. You know, normally all a lot of their product would end up back on eBay. You know, so it'd be like a little Google Home or something like that. It would end up on the eBay, and they would they were aware of that. I think in the total, we have seen ten bags on eBay as a result of the the IKEA job, which is phenomenal out of twelve and a half thousand. And that that has been brilliant. But what it did also for the organization was they talked about some young or some of their staff having never shared their story that they were care experienced. So it suddenly gave a sense of, wow, I work for a company that cares. Or, you know, it's, it, it became more kind of connected and more personal. So it was just an amazing, amazing partnership and um, opportunity. And for us, we grew a lot and we learned huge amounts in how to do business. And we have, you know, we've we've had some of those tensions of the five hundred pounds. We have to keep still focused because IKEA has allowed us to to grow our business, and you can make the wrong decisions by having a little bit too much capital to invest in the wrong places. So we've yeah. we've had those tensions this year with as a result of the best thing we've done to do in a commercial. Yeah, yeah but you have it reminds me. I, I spoke with Hyatt Denham, founder, um, um, on my podcast, and uh, David Hyatt. Um, over in, I don't know if you've heard of him over in Cardigan huge, in Wales. Huge man. Yeah. Do one thing well or one thing that's, yeah. Do And they talk about that, you know, like their mission was, like for them, like you're talking about the black, black bag story, for them it was all about getting 800 people back their jobs. That was it. 800 people back their jobs. We lost the jobs when everything got shipped over. But they got, um, their genes got photographed on the, 
um, someone in the royal family, one of the princesses. And all of a sudden they came in in the morning and the sails went through the roof. And from the offset, that's amazing. But like, but like, wow, how can we manufacture these? You know, they were making them all in Wales. It's like, and then the tensions come, well, we need to get a bigger office. We need to get more staff. And the challenges of that, because you could think, well, I'm going to grow to that size now, but what if it all tails off in a few months? Because, you know, it's not on another princess, so it's not on someone like that. So yeah, there's, you know, from the outside, everyone would like to perceive to be growing, but it's it's balancing that. And like you say, you've got to manage it, right? Because, you know, some of the decisions that you have to make there are crucial for the for the long term rather than going all in or taking risks. But um yeah, he um yeah, he's he's really inspiring what they're doing. And it's, it reminds me similar of what you're doing as well. It's um yeah, it's great. Um so one thing um I want to just to come to cycle back, it just made me think when you're talking about your story when you were younger about how it was kind of the community that occurred for you. you lost your father young, your mum had to go and work. You didn't actually go into the system, but the community helped you. Where do you think we are at the moment in society with, you know, with the community? Because in many ways, it feels like that, you know, in some ways it feels like it's, bro- it's broken a lot more and there isn't the capacity for people to to have more time to to look after the neighbors or look after loved ones and stuff and it feels like there's more reliance on the state and stuff where do you where do you think we're at with that now and i don't want to say what's the solution because it's not you know you know you're focusing on the bags and that you're doing you're doing what you can but it's interesting just to get your perspective because you've been a youth worker being in it that's my little daughter in the background, just just chiming in. She likes to speak on the podcast, pretty much everyone. So I'll um, I'll leave it over to you now, Dave. Yeah, the um, I think I think where where I see it is the the system, the system is is broken for sure. It's harder. Like um, one one difference was in in the area that I lived, you know. It, there was very much one person out to work and one person at home. And so there was always people around. And I think busyness is, is actually a big part of the, the issue where we live in a society that both people need to work. So it leaves community kind of absent for a high percentage of its time. Um, you know, so because there's nobody there, it's a little bit barren because everybody's out of work. So if somebody's got a problem, there's nobody there to help because everybody's just totally stretched trying to help themselves. So I think that that's a big part in community. I also feel that um, there is a, there is a, if I take the care space, which is is what I'm really passionate about and, and probably a little bit more aware of, is that everything is dependent upon projects and funding and not relationships. So, so the, for instance, we're up for helping, but a young person could have, you know, hundred social workers in their, in their few years in care, you know, they could have multiple moves and foster homes and relationships and relationships aren't the key of, you know, focus for it. It's just about, you know, keeping food in the table, keeping them warm, keeping them safe from the abuse and neglect. And, um, and then we, when we run support programs, you know, we go to a charity and they put the, the, you know, the government put funding in place to run a program for mentoring. But, but that's flawed in itself because it's got a time point. And what people need is significant adults and significant input. So the youth workers in my life were the ones who were significant that were journeyed with. You know, I, I went to my youth club at 11 and they're, you know, seeing me on the street when I'm 25, chatting away, and they've been significant. May not be inputting into my life in the same way, but they were significant, and they're still there. And and I feel that that's the flaw, is we've made everything a program, and we've made taking the heart out of the humanity of the people. And so in the care system, the ch- those children are project are products. And when the product's relationship is, isn't doesn't matter, and I think that's the difference. When I look back, it was out of relationship. It was out of relationship that my mom had with her neighbors. It was out of relationship that we had with our family. So, uh, our, and it was out of the, and relationship builds trust. Trust then allows that this is my child. I'm happy for you as my neighbor to take them on holidays for two weeks. 
and travel England because it was built out of relationship. And I think if if that that for me is it would be a key. You know, if 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 we were to start, how do we build safe, significant relationships in our society? I think it would change, um, change how how things. And but I do believe it's broken. I yeah, and I believe the biggest part of that is everybody is so busy because cost of living or what we expect our our lives to have in stuff requires everybody to be busy trying to have that stuff that we've no time to necessarily be significant and reach out yeah it's it's a it's a huge challenge we face i was reading something recently like the average house price now is 10 times someone's wage where i was speaking to my dad and when he was buying a house in the 70s it was like three times the wage Mm. so wages have not increased anywhere near to the level of you know doesn't don't match inflation you know and that means that as you say two people need to go to work just to make ends meet Um, and like you say the busyness and just stressed and overworked and so many challenges it's like they can't even can't even get the head up just to you know to to feel like they can um yeah to get a to grip of things but i think that i think a lot of things are changing i'd like to think from covid from the particularly the first early lockdowns like how many people's lives are unsettled and realizing that you know we're all on this kind of rat race to to just keep going but actually to what end and you're seeing that it isn't making the people that are really further ahead happy and it's like what is making us what is the, the recur things and you know it is relationships it's you know they're the, when you think about someone who maybe you lose in your life you remember how they made you feel you don't remember what car they had you don't remember necessarily what they bought unless you know they were generous and helped you in some ways um but you remember how they made you feel you know mm-hmm. i can look back to my teachers in school you know i can remember the mean ones you know i'm not going to be thinking good stuff about them the ones that you know but the ones that were curving and kind so okay. if we can start there with just being nicer to our neighbors and nicer to our friends and family in some way and, and reaching out, then it's a good way to go. And I think the thing that's, yeah, that's helped. That's so good, Rob, you know, that really is good. It's how you feel rather than what they have or who they are, how they left you feel, school teachers and so forth. But yeah, that's good. And I've got a feeling many people will look back on how you made, how you've made them feel being a youth worker and stuff. You know, just that story you're saying about the ones that were, um, you know, the ones that were real trouble, considered to be troublemakers, and you just want to, like, I'm going to sit down and play FIFA with them. I'm going to talk to them, get to know them, ask them how they feel. Like, I wonder how many people actually ask, how are you feeling? And not just, you know, when we meet people and we say, how are you doing? It's so empty gesture. It's like, how are you? You're not really asking how they are. You just expect them to say, oh, yeah, I'm fine. But actually, most of us aren't fine. You know, most of us just want someone to speak to or to be able to feel like we can be vulnerable and express how we're feeling. Because I think that's part of the challenges as well. We're all meant to like be putting on this brave face, like we've all got it together, but none of us have got it together. You know, we're all bloody struggling. You know, we've all got the same challenges, same insecurities, same, well, not all same worries, but, you know, insecurities, money issues, whatever. We're kind of, you know, and I think the more of us can just be open and vulnerable and talk about that, you realize other people go, you know what? I feel like that as well. You know, I'm glad you said that because I've been bloody struggling with this thing as well. Um, but anyway, I feel like I could go on about this for a lot of long time, but how, what I'd like to, um, so if people are listening to this and thinking, you know what, this is an amazing company. How can I want either get involved? I understand that even if people don't need a bag that they can donate a bag, can't they? And how can people find out more about you? And I know you've gone into depth for your story, but if they want to get involved in some way. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, first of all, um, if they need a bag and only when they need a bag because we don't want to be creating a, an unhealthy environment by a lot of waste so when they need a bag choose my dog as their bag brand you know that gives a bag it also communicates by carrying the bag to a child and young person as we're making more awareness of our brand as the brand that's for children in care so it we have, it's an empowering brand to carry and say we care you care for you we see you we love you you know the feeling of young people in the care system is that we're they often say that they're unseen because they're under 18 often and nobody really knows. They don't carry T-shirts with I'm a care kid. So there's an element where we're, we're getting to, and everybody's professional that works with them and paid to work with them. So there's those kind of things. So we're empowering customers. So that's how you can get involved is 
buy a bag and wear a bag. And um, that's the, the, the biggest part of the movement. If you don't need a bag and you want to fund the giving of bags and support children so that we can get to that 90,000 children um, you know, in care that all have in bags and, and the new child carries a life in a bin bag in the UK and Ireland, then um, donate a bag, gift a bag, then there's, there's a doing it once off or there's doing a subscription model to that where every month you can give one, two, three, as many bags as you can afford or want to, to give to be part of. You can also join the, the um, sign up and get our um, newsletter and we're trying to do the, that kind of informative and build a movement rather than just sell on that all the time. Um, but probably one of the most exciting things that's coming, now we're not there 100% yet, but we set up Madlog as a community interest company, locked asset. But we, um, as we've been growing, we feel that we needed to, and the giving has increased, we needed to create a foundation model. So we've created Madlog Foundation. We haven't fully launched it yet, but coming down the line, is the foundation is going to run as a traditional charity. So one is that if you've bought a bag and you want to continue in the story of helping promote and do other things, there will be a charity to be involved in and to, to, to get that. And the foundation is going to be looking at giving the bags. So the confidence to a customer is if, if Madlog makes more profit, than just the giving bags that we've committed to, then more profit money will be given to the charity to do other stuff. So, so that's where, where the foundation is. It's to, to really maximize the social impact and not detract from the, the, the bag story because we, that's why we exist. Um, but the foundation will be giving bags. The foundation is we want to use it as a real platform to raise awareness of the value, worth, dignity of children in care. So we want to, we see, I, I see national like billboards not saying fund us three pounds and we can help this with sad pictures, but empowering statements to the children and young people in our care system is we see you, we love you, we believe in you. You know, just imagine if every billboard, every city, every time. So the foundation, we're wanting to, to go down that a little bit and, and be a real empowerment communicator of their value and worth using the Madlow branding to, to do that. And also offensively, we want to get into the space of empowering in employability and stuff. So there's places for businesses to get involved and given um, apprenticeships and job testing and tasting um, kind of opportunities. And even something that's, it's that, that I'm really passionate about now, we're really early days, is um, sometimes we see the only route out of unemployment or poverty is education. And I'm a big fan of education, but I believe one of the best tools is empowering entrepreneurs to do self-employment. And, um, and so I would love to explore a little bit of that through the foundation where we can empower and maybe have more 500 pounds turn into significant businesses, helping more children in care, doing other things, built on black bin bag stories of children actually in the care system being empowered to make a difference so that's the dream that's the vision we're not there yet hopefully i haven't the, the, um confused by saying that stuff um because we're still trying to work the narrative and still trying to work out the clarity in that but that's where we're going with it two organizations all about the value worth dignity of children in care well seeing how far you've come in the last six years um i've got no doubt dave that you'll um you'll achieve all those goals at some point um it's been a real honor speaking to you i feel really privileged that i can sit down and um you know have these conversations with people but then able to share it and inspire other people to go and do it because in a way that's my own way of doing the butterfly effect in some ways of of um getting other people and um hopefully some of my listeners wouldn't have heard of you before and they'll be inspired by it um but absolute pleasure speaking to you today dave and i really appreciate your time yeah it's been it's been great rob being on and again using your platform to invite people into this story that no child should cry their life in a bin bag because life goes inside there's my interview with dave linton all wrapped up a really inspiring guy doing amazing work it's 
which it looks like he's helped over 50,000 children in looked after care and we'll be helping many more thousands. It's definitely not the end. It's just the beginning from the bad sounds of it. I love just hearing his story and his journey and, and um, the nuggets of wisdom that he had to share. I've got lots that I'll be taking from that one. So I'll include links to to, to Madlub on the site and I'll include sort of social media and how you can donate. I think for me personally, I, I don't need a bag at the moment. I made a point of that. Reminds me a bit of Patagonia, the way they are. They're not really there, you know, after like rampant consumerism, the thing like if you need a bag, get a bag. Um, but I think for me to be able to donate £10 is and to to donate a bag um is within most of our reaches so any if you've enjoyed this episode please share it with a friend um if you listen to it on apple podcasts you can leave me a review that would be amazing if you listen to it on youtube you can subscribe and click the bell button so you'll get notifications for new interviews and if you want to check out positive news magazine you can receive a 20 percent discount if you use the code do good 20 at checkout um, and you'll receive that off a yearly subscription. Um, so there you go. I'm going to have it, leave it all there for today. Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And have a good one. Mm-hmm.